Bay FM 100.3. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. Well, here we are. It's a Monday night, and that makes Searchlight Conversations the topic du jour. Good evening, Dean. How are you? A very good, good night, I suppose. It's uh, another show about the COVID situation. Well... Yes, and uh, we sort of talked about this last month that, you know, the COVID situation, it's one of those topics that people have just really had enough of and they're starting to switch off. But then we saw a trend Mm -hmm. and the trend was that people started changing their minds about how they felt about COVID, the pandemic, and how it's now affecting their lives. In the early days, we kind of put up with whatever we had to do. We, we towed the yeah. line, did all the right things, did all the things that were requested from us. And here we are nearly two years down the track and nothing's getting any better. Well, I think you're starting to see there's a lot of lockdown weary Australians. You exactly. know, they're worried about the pandemic's toll on their life, their jobs, their mental health. I mean, this is all coming to to, an, to, to, a, to a peak at this present time, I think. And I think we're starting to look around for... I know the cause is the virus, but I think we're starting to look about, looking for some um, explanation as why are we still struggling with it? Well, yes, exactly right. I mean, it started Who do off, we blame? Well... <laughs> I don't, I don't know if we need to blame anybody. We just want to get a solution. Because what we're seeing right now is in the early days, it was fantastic because the federal government, the state's government, they got together as a national cabinet and it all worked beautifully. Here's the plan. The governments worked as a unit, as a unity. Yeah. We all said, okay, if that's what you want us to do, that's what we'll do. And all of a sudden things started to work in the way that they wanted to work. Happy days. Well, the national cabinet itself is, I think, that's that's the the... the, the linchpin here isn't it really yeah. i mean yeah it starts off as the national cabinet then all the premiers walk away and then go yes 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 and then go and do their own thing go and do their own thing yeah so the whole thing is fractured yep. and they say one thing and then do something else we have a prime minister who in the initial stages says oh, this is not a sprint we'll just take our time doing this and that was yep. probably not a very wise thing to do okay he made a mistake he's human so what the solution has to be doing the right thing next and thereafter and thereafter. But what we've seen since then has been really, in my mind, has been nothing but another mistake, another mistake and another mistake and misinformation. One week that part of the information is correct. All of a sudden, no, it's not. It's changed. Now, all of a sudden, that bit of information has changed. Now, that's good for you, but not for you. And all of a sudden, hang on, yes, it was good for you. And everyone is in total confusion. Well, the cut to the chase, Ken, basically, there is no teamwork there. None. There's There's no unity. No. Um, and, and we're filled with uncertainty of where we go from here. I mean, I think at the moment now we're all worried about, especially within business now, we're concerned yes. about when's the next lockdown going to come along? Well, this is the thing. And businesses are absolutely – it's okay when – it wasn't so bad, I should say, when, when JobKeeper and JobSeeker and all those things were in play. But they're no longer there. They're no longer there. And that situation in itself for particularly smaller businesses, and I would suggest it's going to start making a crunch on the bigger ones very, very soon as well. I think it's a disparity disparity of thought as well too, Ken. I mean, you know, the images of the Coolangatta wall on Father's Day. Yes, exactly. It's starting to look ridiculous. And I'll tell you, if you want to make a recipe, create a recipe that's going to make conspiracy theorists more and more pertinent within the situation, well, that's what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. When you look on TV and see people leaning over the wall, hugging and kissing each other and so on, yet they're not allowed to cross that wall. I know. How does that make any sense to me? It's ludicrous. It's just crazy. It's crazy. I'll give you a very simple story, which just blew me out of the water, right? True story. A mate of mine lives at Corumbin on the Gold Coast. 
Yep. Lives the crumble on the Gold Coast. He's a bus driver for the Gold Coast Network. Right. He drives hundreds of people a day all over the Gold Coast, right? Right. Where's the bus depot? In Tweed Head. So he has to go across the border in his little bubble car from his house in Corumban to go to his bus to pick up his bus, yeah? Gets in his bus at Tweed Heads and drives all over the Gold Coast all day. Goes back to the depot to drop his bus off. Gets in his little bubble car to go back home. Gets stopped at the border and says, no, you can't go any further. Yeah. How does that make any sense? Well, as I mentioned earlier, mate, it's becoming like a COVID football game, isn't it? It's, it, it's a either, political football game. Neither yeah. team is winning except no. for the referee. Yeah. And the referee is yeah. the political party. So to me, I'm starting to see that whole method at this present time. We're becoming a very political game. It is. It, it, in my mind, you're absolutely spot on. I don't, I, and as I mentioned before, I don't see any unity. No. I don't see them joining no. together helping. No. Every single press conference I keep seeing, I see, oh, they, we only do 30%. The federal government do this. And, uh, mate, what is going on here? I mean, we vote these people in to, to be our representatives. To do the job. That's right. Our representatives. Yes. Yeah, not the party, not the person, yeah. not the personality. So who are they representing? Are they representing us or are they representing their party? Which one are they doing? They're representing the ballot box so they get their seat back again next yeah, time around. It's starting to become quite frustrating. It is. And the mental health effects on this for the average and Joe this, out there is yes. disgusting. And this is, the, this is the thing that's bothering me more than most. Underlying all of this is a, a mental health situation that can be in my mind, has the opportunity and, and, the, and the personality to become, become something incredibly serious yep. over the next five to ten years. And what about the education the standard for children as well? That as well. Absolutely. Or, you can, again, you could leave yourself open to the conspiracy theorists here as well, saying, well, that's exactly what the government wants. Yeah. Well, I'm not buying that, but that's Well, not, mate, with the images yeah. you see on TV, yeah. the, the whole misinformation going on, what would you expect? Well, you can't trust I mean, them. you are giving the crackpots the opportunity now. Yes, to prove their point. Correct. And the politics are helping them. <laughs> well, hopefully tonight we're going to have guests on tonight that are going to prove different. Yeah, well, let's... You let's, know, we've got ourselves Dr. Sarah Bentley on tonight. It's going to say, let's look at the list of He's going to talk guests. about the, yes. the stress concerns of people mm-hmm. over this pandemic and how it's affecting us within the population. Yep. Um, hopefully Don Brown, local MP, is going to have an answer to, you know, what is... You know, Queensland had, has had a long time to get prepared for this. What if we do have this big lockdown, just like New South Wales and Victoria? Are we ready? Are we prepared for that? Yeah. Are our hospitals prepared for that? No. I don't know. No. We'll soon find out, hopefully. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to say something here which could be a little controversial as well. You said if Queensland. I'm going to say well, it's when. when. Yeah, of Queensland. course. Yeah. yeah, we're not going to stop it. There's no invisible There's no wall way. there that's going to stop it from crossing. No, I think the only thing that I can see, and I'm, again, I, I don't know. We're going to ask Don Brown to see what he tells us. Right. The only thing I can see is that uh, the premier is in Queensland is holding off as much as she possibly can the border, so that the population gets to eighty percent of vaccinations. Right. So that when COVID comes across the border, because it has to at some stage, a border has to be opened. We are going to take the pressure off the hospital systems and so on. Right. That I can see some sensibility in it. But tell us what the hell is going on. Well, maybe Brent Mickelberg yeah. from the LNP might have an answer. The minute the shadow minister for uh, small business and family business. Yep. I would like to see what the LNP have got in there. Look, this morning I saw the uh, newscast with uh, uh, David Christofulli in there. Yeah. And he said that at the moment now there's only been 3% of the payments made from the Queensland government well, to help businesses during this lockdown. I mean, 3%, how? that's not good Why? enough. Yeah. That's not good enough. No. 
So Absolutely. hopefully these guys will have some answers for us. Yeah. And, and the other thing that uh, that we picked up on uh, in the last couple of weeks was the, the quote from the Premier, Anastasia Palace, saying that basically she wants the uh, nothing's happening until the under-12s have been vaccinated. Well, see, that's, a, that's another question we have to look at. You know, I don't even think there's any protocol in place for under-12s. I haven't found anywhere in the world so far that has anything to support that. I haven't seen it. So Elwin Gabataro, who is an immunologist, is, yep, we've had him doctor, on the show a couple yeah, of times Dr. before. Dr. Gabataro, yes. We're going to ask him that question. Yeah, he'll come up with some facts and figures tonight and see yeah. what the answer is. Clear it well, up if there bit. is an answer. Well, exactly. Yep. Because we're not going to go to a politician for that answer. We're going to the guy who actually knows what he's talking about Yeah. in respect to that particular subject. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to talk to Dr. Sarah Bentley. Me too. And she's our first guest, and she'll be coming up very shortly on Bay FM. Uh, Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, as we say each and every time, you can and please do. We are here to represent you as well, and we need you to communicate with us that your thoughts, your questions, your comments, and the only way to do that is via SMS, and that's 0468 86103. 0468 86103. Searchlight Conversations, Dean and Ken, Bay FM 100.3, live and local across the Bayside and beyond. Searchlight on Bay FM 100.3. Connect with us by SMS on 0468 86103. And tonight, the topic is, has COVID, the pandemic, become a political football? Our very first guest tonight is Dr. Sarah Bentley. She's a research fellow at the University of Queensland. Sarah's research targets three domains, the psychometric articulation and measurement of social connectedness, assessing the impact of connectedness on psychological function and well-being, and working collaboratively with stakeholders in organisational, educational and clinical domains to design, deliver and validate psychological interventions. The emphasis of Sarah's work is on promoting the importance of social connectedness, as well as an understanding and the managing of the pitfalls of social disconnection. All of that sounds very, very, very uh, technical, but actually it is really quite simple, isn't it? It is, and uh, I like to hear you say that three times very, very fast, Ken. I I had enough trouble saying it once. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Bentley. Hi there. Hi, how are you? It's Dean speaking. Thank you very much for being on tonight. Much appreciated. Oh, you're very welcome. So, Dr. Bentley, give us a brief rundown of what your um, investigation and study has been recently on this pandemic. Yeah, of course. So our research team here at the University of Queensland, we focus on the importance of social connectedness, which, as you say, is often a very straightforward and, and simple, but sometimes the most obvious and simple things are the things that we tend to overlook. Of course, with the pandemic and the events of the last two years, this has become much more kind of salient and and sort of visible in people's minds because we've been forced to socially distance and socially disconnect ourselves from those around us. We've been uh, more fortunate here in Australia, or at least some regions of Australia, but uh, the issue of social disconnection has now become very kind of uh, key for many people. We've experienced it ourselves, and of course then we've experienced the toxic effects of that and how bad it can make us feel when when we literally can't see people and we can't feel connected to people. So that, that's our topic of, of, right, um, okay. of research here. And it's something that we've, you know, we've been tackling for a while now. But the pandemic has really raised the bar on that. Yeah, recently a poll that was done the other day has shown that fifty-five among men, 55% are concerned about business and jobs and 51% about their mental health. And mothers are worried yeah. about their, their education for their children. 
and women are also most likely to postpone health checks as well due to this. I mean, it's it's showing a lot of different factors. It's actually to the point where it almost sounds worse than the actual um, COVID nineteen itself. Yeah, this is this is the concern. Obviously, we're we're juggling so many things, and we're trying to manage the the literal virus itself and slow down the spread of that. And of course, no one would want to undermine that process, but we have to be very mindful of all the associated uh, side effects of of the pandemic, not just in terms of social disconnection, but just in terms of the incredibly increased levels of stress and strain that it puts on all of us. I think one of the things that humans hate most of all is feeling that they're not in control, feeling that they don't quite know what's happening, whether that's next week or next year. And so the last two years for us has been just full of uncertainty, and that's very, very damaging. Yeah, that lack of social connection, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, interestingly, in terms of um, some of our research, what we show is feeling connected to other people does help you feel more in control of life. So if you take away uh, that sense of connection and that stability of our kind of sense of um, you know being around other people and getting the validation that we get from being around other people that makes it so much worse we feel more out of control we feel less kind of grounded more unable to cope less resilient uh, and higher levels of burnout so it's a bit of a vicious cycle in that way are there particular symptoms that we should look out for for our spouses to go when they're going through the situation at all i mean do they isolate themselves even more than normal because of this situation or they How do they respond? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, obviously, everyone's very different. And I think what we should look out for is is differences in behavior. So uh, if, for instance, people do tend to go out a lot or try and connect to other people a lot, and suddenly they're really going quiet and you're not hearing from them, or vice versa, kind of a sense of dysregulation, something that's that's not people's normal pattern of behavior. And of course, it's hard to maintain our normal pattern of behavior when we're living through conditions of lockdown. But keeping an eye open for those sorts of warning signs, people being um, exceptionally quiet or withdrawn, or, or as I say, a kind of sense of dysregulation, overstress, overthinking things, those sorts of things. But it is very different person to person. So I think checking in with people um, frequently is, is key to kind of just get a sense of how people are going. Right. Is there any particular demographic that it hits more than others? Um, That's a great question, and we do a lot of research around that. Actually, young people are are showing um, quite high levels of um, distress associated with the disconnection, um, which is concerning. But, of course, I think there are many different groups that can be vulnerable. One of the things that we see a lot is that people who were you know, very vulnerable before the pandemic, who had lower levels of social connection before the pandemic, they're kind of exponentially worse off in the sense that we often kind of think about different resources that we might have in order to prepare us for dealing with a challenge such as the pandemic. We might think about um, sort of financial resources or logistical resources, but we don't often think about social resources, like having a stockpile of social connections. That really helps us. So for people who don't have that, when they go into a, a challenging um, and stress-inducing situation such as the pandemic and a lockdown, they're, they're much more vulnerable to the negative outcomes of that. Right, OK. Could it, could it possibly lead, the longer the lockdown continues, or the longer these, these short lockdowns even seem to have this major effect on a lot of people recently, I've noticed, could that have a generational issue? I mean, especially with the younger ones, with younger children, younger, younger, younger teenagers even? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we're, we're still unaware of those outcomes. We're, we're still living through the process. But if you look back at, say, for instance, the SARS outbreak back in the early 2000s, 
um, there were um, significantly increased levels of stress and anxiety. And that kind of manifested almost in PTSD symptoms. So that meant that children in particular were processing the event as a, as a trauma. And so they were kind of remembering it as a trauma with all the after effects of trauma associated with that. So I think you're absolutely right. We do have to be very careful and mindful of children, particularly, as you say, younger children for whom uh, the pandemic is going to be like a kind of formative memory that they're never going to shake off. And the last thing we want is them growing up with this sense that social distancing is normal. Um, so we have to be very careful about that. Yeah, and it does trickle down from the parents to the children as well. You know, the more stressed they are, the more signs of anxiety they show. It does come down. The kids do notice. A lot of people think children don't notice what yeah, goes but, on with mum and dad, but and we it, do. But at the same time, parents haven't gone through something like this before, so they're not. This is all foreign to them as well. It is. It so is. how do you how do you approach your children and educate them and and buffer them and keep them uh, protected and um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Growing up in the right way of understanding this particular problem. Well, just remember that anxiety itself is, you could call it anxiety yes. a virus as well. Yes. I mean, it is catching. Correct. It so, is, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the best things to do is, is to sort of yeah keep talking to your children. I mean, it's important to acknowledge what's going on. And it's sometimes quite good to admit that you just genuinely don't know uh, quite what the answer is. There's nothing to be fearful about doing that. So that, that sense of being in it together, so that you're helping each other, uh, is absolutely key, whether or not that's in a family unit or a community setting or within your uh, workplace with your colleagues. I think that sense of, of managing it together, that sense of solidarity that you can get, will really help enormously to, to get people through really challenging times. Yeah, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor, but I, I understand that kids are very, very easy. Uh, to, they very easily spot any kind of um, uh, BS along the way. They can pick it up very, very quickly. So being honest with them is the number one thing. Yeah, no, I absolutely, uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And that, that, that applies to parenting in any kind of context. Yes. I think honesty is, is absolutely key. And, and I think the trouble is parents are, are feeling so terribly under stress. And there's a lot of expectation on them to constantly get it right and be perfect, which becomes a, a bit of a, a dysfunction in itself. So parents need to be a bit compassionate with themselves, compassionate with their kids and kind of work it through together and, and acknowledge that, you know, sometimes we just genuinely don't know, but we're just doing our best. And if we, we stick together, we'll we'll be able to get through it. Right. So have you noticed, Doctor, that that... The short little lockdowns that have occurred every now and then at the beginning were good for the social network because people found themselves getting a little bit closer, communicating with each other a little bit more because they weren't so busy as such. But now due to the fact that these things have carried on for so long now and people now are more concerned about losing their job than actually catching COVID, that this now has that trickle-down effect upon the children as well as the rest of the family and now they they just can't stay at home and have a great long weekend with the children anymore they've now they've got to worry about where we're we going to pay the bills next week yeah no absolutely and that that sort of the chronic nature of this condition mm -hmm. yeah it's very different managing it for let's say six weeks to managing it for a period of, of months uh, over time and that sense of uncertainty um, is really eroding so again we need to we need to be aware of that and you know, the way that governments manage those lockdowns is the first lockdown is never going to be the same as the second, is never the same as the sixth. So we have to be careful about managing expectations and, and as I say, kind of being uh, compassionate. We all want to do the right thing and, and people are doing amazingly well on that front. But, um, of course, it, it does get to you over a longer period of time. In, in that respect, I mean... I 
I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel that we are definitely going to be in, involved in quite a few more lockdowns before this has any sort of chance of going away. In in preparation for that, what would you recommend, Doctor? Um, yeah, I think it's a good question. I think maybe taking stock of past learning, so taking stock of what's happened. Um, I, I feel I've said it a, a few times now, but that sense of compassion, like being lowering your expectation, being kind to yourself and, and being patient and not expecting things to suddenly rebuild immediately and acknowledging that effectively, yes, we've all been through on a very personal, interpersonal, but yet a community and a, a sort of national level, we've been through and are still going through a major trauma. So we're not going to kind of wake up afterwards and be like, oh, yeah, that's happened and we're, we're now moving on. There'll be a major hangover effect. So I think being aware of that and kind of building that into our expectations is going to be the way to go in terms of uh, rebuilding and, and not just rebuilding in the sense of because it's never really going to go back to how it was before. Um, so rebuilding in the sense of understanding, uh, you know, what, how it affected us and, and things that we can put in place to become more resilient and more robust going forward. Look, I, I think even so, dealing with the vaccination process even, you know, having to make that decision because as I've mentioned on our program more than once, mm. um, this pandemic to me is more like an infodemic. Now, there's so much information out there, you've got to try to disseminate which is real and which isn't. And I think just the parents themselves having to make the, the decision to get vaccinated. You know, what if something does happen to one of them? What if it doesn't this and so on? All these things, these, these uncertain behaviours, I think, I think it's terrible. I think it really, I really don't think the government itself has really realised the effect, the ongoing effects we're going to have. I think this will go into a generational phase. phase. I really do believe that. Yeah. My, my, I, I, I really have, my biggest thought goes out to kids been going to school for five or six years, seven years, and it's happy and rosy and it's all grand and it's, they've got their, their friends at school, and they've got a routine, and their life is normal. It's great. And then we go into a lockdown phase in the beginning, and it's only for a short period of time. Kids go back to school. Okay, fine. They're missing out on that face-to-face education. They're missing out on that community. They're missing out on that connection with their friends. They're missing out on that education that they pick up culturally from their peers and they also miss out on a whole bunch of other things being stuck in at home in a room trying to do something that used to be done in a massive great room on a computer screen Mm. and not having the ability to interact or to be involved in the interaction in the room asking questions of the teacher having things edified or clarified all that kind of stuff that whole process is now dynamically different and to me i i I think that's going to have a detrimental effect into the future. I don't know about you. What are your thoughts on that one, Doctor? Yeah, I definitely think that there are some major long-term negative effects to how we um, how we get through this and how we manage that and how we process that. The only thing I would add to that picture is uh, I think there are a lot of unknowns here. And actually, one of the interesting things about our research, when you look at the different countries and how they've managed the pandemic, it's been quite surprising. There's been silver linings in terms of the level of unification that we've sometimes seen, the fact that people have really rallied together as communities, as nations, in order to try the, to do the right thing, to help each other in a way that's very inclusive. And we well, don't that's often great. see... That's great to hear. Yes. We, don't, we don't have that kind of... We don't have that necessity in normal life. We don't often see that... That happening, so I think that's that is quite an amazing phenomenon, um, and I think our kids are going to see that they're witnessing that. So, although I completely agree, we we shouldn't underestimate the negative impact of all that disruption on their lives. At the same time, 
you know, let's, they've lived through something amazing that we have got through, we are getting through. Mm. And that, that's quite a sort of um, uh, an enriching and kind of um, sort of amazing thing for them to grow up with. With, with your studies, did they, did they involve the preschoolers or little young kids going to grade one and two and so on at all? Um, no, we haven't collected data right. with, with kids that young. It's quite tricky to collect data with, with is, very young yeah. kids. I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd be interested to see what, what, what results of that would be because, you know, that's mm. a time where prejudices don't exist. Everyone's friendly with everybody when they go to school that age. Yes. And that's where you learn to mix with people and you learn different habits and so on. I'm wondering that if these pandemics, these lockdowns go on for longer, for 12 months or two years or whatever, or the intermittent places, how it's going to affect these young kids gaining those social uh, uh, skills. Yeah, no, there definitely needs to be a lot of research into that. And, and as I think you've both pointed out previously, we need to have a lot of research into how to help support parents because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are bearing the brunt of it. They're pioneering with their own kids to make sure that they can navigate as carefully as possible through this. So they need to be really supported and, and feel that they've got everything they need to help them be the best parents they can when uh, they're dealing with the tricky things and the fallout from, from very young kids being... Uh, yeah, experiencing extreme levels of social isolation, which, as you say, is not good for, for children. Mm, not at all. And and as a community, too, we, we all have the flow-on effect of that. Yeah. Um, it, it is, it is uh, well, if you go back to the end of the Second World War, for example, when, you know, Australia was a very different country in those days, um, both from a, a, a community point of view and also from a, a innovation and development point of view, things were very, very different back in those days. But the hardship was, there is a, there is a connection between the hard, hardships back then and some of what we're seeing now in the COVID lockdown situation and so on. So that hardship is definitely there. But our parents sort of, well, my parents, I should say, I'm 60 plus now, but my parents certainly lived through that. And it life wasn't easy for them. It certainly wasn't. I mean, you know, I remember our, our house was full of furniture that never matched. We had six different chairs and a table that was hand-me-downed and you know so are our beds and everything else like that whereas today um, it's a little different and and nothing wrong with what i'm saying with, with what's happening today because parents today you know when they get married they basically build a house and everything is in it it's completely fitted out it's just beautiful and, and a lifestyle that goes with that very different to what it was after the second world war and the era that followed after that now we're in a very much in a technical age where we're getting influenced globally through connectedness via the internet and all sorts of um, technology and that sort of stuff, uh, how how is that going to flesh out the communities and the way that we travel as a society from here on in? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a good question. It is very different. I mean, there are similarities because interestingly, you reminded me of some uh, research where interestingly, when when people are going through traumatic kind of events such as a pandemic or kind of global crises or things that really require you to question uh, the normal sort of everyday things that you expect to happen. Um, actually, what we do sometimes see is people feel kind of better during those periods of time because it gives them something to rally around. It gives them a purpose and it gives them a kind of sense of, of being in it together and achieving right. something together. So there are interesting similarities, but of course it, it's different at the same time because, yeah, technology in our way of life has changed enormously. So we do have a kind of interesting backdrop in the sense that we have theoretically loads more ways of communicating with each other thanks to technology. But at the same time, we also know that those methods of communicating are much more superficial than more traditional face There's a very good delivery. point. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're spot on there. 
So we did, yeah, yeah, we don't know quite how that will impact on on, on people's um, sense of connection as they kind of navigate through the, the social isolation of uh, of COVID nineteen. It's a, it's a very interesting development. This whole this whole process. Um, I. I I've got a couple of questions to ask. I think we might just take a little bit of a quick break there because we've kept you on the ball there for a while there now, Doctor. You've done done incredible. I'm totally enthralled, absolutely listening to you like every single word. Awesome stuff. But I do have a couple more questions which sort of take a bit of a different tack. So we might just take a quick break and uh, come back and have a chat in just a moment or four, if that's okay, Doctor. Yeah, of course, that's fine. Excellent. Thank you so much. Bay FM 100.3, live and local across the Bayside and beyond. This is Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken. And tonight the topic is, has the COVID pandemic become a political football? Our special guest is Dr. Sarah Bentley, Research Fellow at the University of Queensland. Welcome back, Dr. Sarah. Thank you. So, Dr. Bentley, um, your research itself, do you want to give us a brief rundown on what your research covers and the cause and effect that you get from doing this research? And to add one more part to the question, where do you think it's going to lead? I mean, is it going to lead to more research into many different avenues? What's the, what's the story? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question, and I could talk for hours about that. I mean, the issue, as we talked about right at the beginning of this interview, is that social connection is just everywhere in life, and it's just something that's so obvious and so necessary, but often we overlook it. Um, so the research that we do can apply the question of, how important social connections is to such a broad range of issues. For instance, we do work with students as they transition into university. We do work in organizations, workplaces, looking at issues of leadership and how social connection is really key when it comes to understanding workplace outcomes. We do clinical programs where we're working with people who are feeling socially disconnected and, and lonely and have issues associated issues around that. And we look at how we can kind of raise awareness of social connection, why it's important, and how we can give people the tools to manage their social connections better. So there's no end of, of ways that we can right, find okay. that. We also, do, we also do some quite interesting lab-based research where we can get people in the lab and we can just do some very simple manipulations to make them feel more or less connected. And we look at the outcomes of that. And, yeah, we find that making, making people feel more socially connected improves their information processing skills, their communication skills, a whole range of things that's so sort of simple and straightforward and yet we often overlook it when we're, when we're thinking about basic psychological process. So what about, have you, have you gone into the area of dealing with people that are already affected by different types of mental issues? I mean, this uh, must be yeah. compounding them, their, their issues now, wouldn't it? Or am I correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we, we have, because one of the things that our research team here, we have a team called the um, Social Identity and Groups Network, and um, and one of the big things that we do, we translate all this knowledge and research out into the real world. It's no good us, us all sitting here uh, in our university kind of, uh, you know, investigating these really interesting questions, but they're not doing anything with that learning. So we, we, we work really hard to take that learning outside and, and look at how we can deliver change to people. So we have, for instance, a program called the Groups for Health program, which is a clinical program and intervention. It's five modules that we run. And that can be for people who are suffering with a sense of social isolation. But that that sense of social isolation can be associated with a whole range of mental health conditions, right. um, whether or not that's anxiety or stress or depression. Um, and in, in actual fact, we often find that social disconnection lies behind a lot of mental health conditions. 
So it's kind of quite a, an inclusive way of tackling mental health problems by looking at what is it in people's social um, context, in their social surroundings, in their sense of how they connect to others, or more importantly, how they don't get to connect to others. What is it that's going on there and how can we help people to kind of think about that and, and work out ways to improve that? Um, so that can be pretty um, powerful, empowering for people um, to, to think about their lives in that way. But it also must be terrible for some patients that have made some progress. Then this lockdown occurs, they get locked away again. It's almost like regressing, isn't it? I mean, they suddenly yeah, get the ability to move out in the society now they can't. Yeah, no, absolutely, for sure. It, that's very, very hard. We, we interestingly did a little program of, of research where we developed a bit of an online program um, that was called Groups to Connect. And it was very, very simple. It was a little activity people could do um, on their phones or on their computers that just kind of involved them going through some um, awareness raising around the breadth of connections that they could have in their lives. And, that, and we, we asked them to set up a couple of goals improve connection but that was always using online things so right, okay did you, uh, did you find a process. did you find a connection between artificial contact to actual actual contact in other words what i mean if you're playing a game and the response is done artificially by a computer or whatever but if you if the game is dealing with another person who's playing the same game did you it, it has there been any studies in your area for that not, not directly right, okay. comparing that. Yeah. But what I would say about that is it's kind of interesting because one of the things that's important in all of our programs is is everyone's sense of social connection is a unique to them. Everyone has a different sense of what they need. So right, even okay. the most introverted person needs some form of connection. Other people need lots. But it's always, we collect huge amounts of data about this, it's always the quality of connection, not the quantity of connection. So one of the really big things when we're talking to people and delivering interventions is getting them to think about what is it that they need. It'll be different from the person sitting next to them. It'll be different from um, their friends. It'll be, it's very, very unique. And so that, that is kind of quite liberating because in a way you can find your own sense of connection through a right, whole okay. variety of, of, of ways. Um, you just have to take the time to kind of think, well, what is it that I need? Uh, and then look at solutions to deliver that. Does it put the, the spotlight on suicide? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that I, I think is, is absolutely sort of core in, in, in those more, um, you know, those very disturbing um, statistics that we read yeah. about is, yeah, that, that, that profound sense of just, you know, complete disconnection from the people around you um, to result in those kind of um, outcomes. So, yeah, it's, it's very much um, related to those things. We do a lot of work in... Um, in what we call the prevention space. So yeah. uh, kind of thinking about mental health and, and humans sort of thriving more from, okay, how can we create um, changes in culture and the way people think and feel and behave up front rather than waiting for them to get to crisis points? So how can we make a shift in, for instance, coming back to the work that we do in, in workplaces, workplaces, people spend, you know, the vast amount of their waking hours yeah. at work. So making sure that they feel a sense of belonging, a sense of positive connection to those around them is absolutely key in a whole range of industries. What we do work in the construction industry, for instance. So delivering those messages there and getting a bit of a culture shift there so that we 
people are more aware of the importance of social support, for instance. Yeah. That really helps. And it's kind of nice to work in that prevention space so that everyone benefits as opposed to um, tackling the, the crisis space when, when it's when it's kind of gone wrong. Also, that connection there is a great way of handling anxiety as well. It's amazing. I think maybe a lot of businesses should think about that in the future, really. I mean, you're maintaining, maintaining contact with their employees while the lockdown is on. Even if it's a weekly one, to say, look, how's it all going? You know, we can't wait till you come back to work. Yeah, because it's, it's really like having your first day at a new job again, isn't it, really? You're coming back to it and thinking, well, what's it going to be like? What's the next step? I mean, anxiety is an anxiety. I mean, Absolutely, yeah. you know, it affects people in so many different ways. Well, one of the things, that, just listening to you then, uh, Dr. Sarah, one of the things that sort of point you pointed out to me there was that if, if we are in a continued lockdown or a consistent lockdown and we're working from home, for example, for long periods of time, yeah, the novelty wears off after a little time. I don't know about you, but you know, I've, I've spent a long number of years in the workplace. And, you know, in the last few years, I haven't been spending 40 hours a week in an office somewhere or in a connection with a whole bunch of other people working on the same employee. I've worked a lot of time from home. And there's only me and my partner at home. That's it. So I spent a lot of time by myself at home. And with the lockdown, and now I'm not able to do this, 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 and everything else, it is actually starting to ram home the point to me that I'm kind of, I've developed a time to get used to it, whereas someone where it's been thrust upon them and who's used to being in the workplace and working with others, developing their career and developing their connectedness with other people through the workplace, if that's taken away, how could an employer maintain a healthy, productive, uh, cohesive work unit when everybody's working from home in those isolated little silos? Yeah, no, it, it's it's very hard. I mean, as I say, we work in the space of leadership. We have a program that, that tackles exactly that question that you've just raised. How do you as a leader um, mean make sure that you can still connect to your people even if you're not physically together in the same space as them? Uh, I mean, that, that was an issue, um, you know, that can be an issue in a range of industries where people are, are spread out um, across uh, different locations. And it's a key thing to leadership. How do you maintain that sense of connection and keep your employers and your teams and your team members feeling that like that they're a part of something when um, they're not physically with you? I think there are different things that you can do, like you say, reaching out to people, making sure that you check in with them, having regular contact, potentially, I think, more frequent um, contact rather than sort of uh, huge amounts in one go, but sort of frequent, regular co- contact and check-ins. One of the things we've noticed, we have like ridiculously large quantities of Zoom meetings all the time. Um, and actually, it's sometimes quite nice in, in the to have a bit of a pre-meeting on Zoom, just sort of check in and chat right. and just do all those normal peripheral things. That like you like do gathering around the water cooler kind of idea. Together. Yeah, exactly. And of course, those little incidental, subtle sort of social connections that you don't think are that important, but when you don't have them, you realise that they are actually the kind of fabric of your life. That's how you, you get your sense of belonging and your sense of fitting in with, with something. Um, so when you're just logging in and out of Zoom meetings, you're missing all of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, being aware of those things and building those in, it's not you know it's not an ideal situation, but there are things you can do to help improve the situation. As, as an employer, and, and I'm doing those touch points with my employees, how, what would I look out for? What would I be trying to identify... Uh, looking for a, a problem that might evolve or looking for those little signs that there's something there might be something that's not quite right? Well, I think it comes back to that question that you posed before in the family dynamic. It's exactly the same thing, looking out for things that are not usual, um, being really aware. You have to kind of obviously know, ideally you know your team to begin with, so then you can recognise signs 
of things that aren't particularly usual or things that are uh, not normal ways of, of carrying on for, you know, your team or various individual members of your team. So keeping an eye out for those, I think, is absolutely key. And just making sure... Uh, one of the things that, for instance, we do in the education space is when we're delivering online lectures, making sure that we hang back on Zoom so that students who want to come and chat to us uh, after the lecture have an opportunity to do that. So providing more informal kind of channels where people can step forward. I like forward that idea. Say, hey, mm-hmm. That's excellent. Inspiring me. Yeah, it is key. And that, that's exactly the same for employers in the workplace. Yeah, that makes complete sense, actually. So you're basically leaving the office open and the boss has gone back into his office and carrying on, but the employers can actually sit around and chat and, you know, have a chin whack. Yeah, and, and building that in, making sure that's a recognised moment in time um, so that the, that people know that they can do that and that's regular week in, week out. I think that's, that's key and that makes people feel kind of seen and heard and, and connected to. Mm, that is awesome. That is awesome. I, I have one... Major question to ask you, Dr. Sarah Bentley, if I may, and it's something that I've noticed uh, particularly in the last few weeks. We've been in this situation for two two years now. Now, about six months ago, we were told we wear a mask for this particular amount of time. Then it was extended and extended and extended. And if my crystal ball is shiny enough, it's telling me that we're going to be keeping that extension right up until Christmas, if not beyond that amount of time. Now, with that, I have noticed that the emotional connection with people, because we are visual before we are vocal, if you like, when we're meeting people or talking with, interacting with people, it's the eyes and the facial expressions that give a lot of it away before you even said one word. With masks on, that is kind of taken away. And when you compound that with the fact that we no longer touch each other, we don't shake hands, we don't hug, we don't any have any of that sort of, um, you know, that human contact and I've noticed, and I, I maybe it may be just me, but I've noticed that people are not quite as considerate of other people and quite as friendly with with each other as they were, say, six months ago. Um, am I being a little bit sort of paranoid, or am I sort of heading in the right direction? And what's the long term ramifications if this continues down that way as a society? Yeah, no, that, that is a good question. And, and don't second think I'm, I'm thinking it's okay that we're all wearing masks. I completely agree with you that, that 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 physical kind of barrier in terms of not being able to see people's faces is is a thing. It's, it's, it's not nothing and it's not the way humans are designed to interact. Um, I, d- I don't know personally if I've noticed um, people being less friendly. I, d- I tend to think that in a way humans, maybe I'm an optimist, but I think humans are quite creative. So um, we do, uh, I, I notice people kind of use humor to sort of make jokes around the fact that, yeah, it's completely crazy and surreal that we're walking around with masks on and we don't fully understand, like, you know, should we be wearing it in this meeting or that meeting? And, and kind of, you know, it's it's not great, but the fact that you can talk about that, you can make a joke about it, and you can kind of um, bond over that means that you actually form, uh, you counteract the lack of connection that the mask is creating um, by making some other connection around the fact that yeah, it's all a bit, it's all a bit mad, but we're, at least we're in it together. At least we're all kind of in this crazy world trying to do the right thing and getting it through it together. So I think that that's a key thing. I think um, as you say, people uh, read each other's eyes a lot. So I think you people look more uh, into trying to determine, you know, what is it that someone's face is trying to tell you when you can only see half of the face. Um, <laughs> but I think humans are pretty. pretty um, resourceful and creative in those ways um i think there will be uh, an impact of it but i think ultimately people will 
kind of get back to um, normal ways of interacting once we've once we've got through this. Oh, gee, I hope so. Well, I think you notice yeah. that masks themselves are becoming like an accessory now, aren't they? I mean, yeah, a lot well, of people wearing different coloured ones and different designs on it. You know, I've got a little bat on mine. It's a big business you know, yeah, at the yeah, moment. Yeah, trust it me. is, yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. yeah. It is. So I think, yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, it's just, yeah, I, I'm just one of those ones that sort of, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit too observant and maybe my imagination is a little bit too wild, but I, I've just seemed to have noticed, that, you know, when I'm going down to the supermarket and stuff like that, and I've been going to the same place for like 30 years, it's just not quite as warm as it used to be down there. People are a little bit more it's not your imagination, singular Ken. and isolated. It's not your imagination, me. Ken. No? No. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, again, if, if this continued on for 12 months, Another eighteen months. Yeah. Any idea what might be the future there, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, it's true. You're asking the wrong person here because I'm from <laughs> London, so people are pretty yeah. unfriendly there. So by comparison, <laughs> right. <people are> friendly. <laughs> uh, I haven't met an unfriendly one yet. Not from London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think um, I think people are getting tired of it, and I think that does yeah. affect people's kind of ability to. Uh, keep resourceful, keep resilient. So I think that there will be some sort of knock-on effect there. Um, but, I mean, if I, my family are back in the UK. When I talk to them, they're not really... The vast majority of people are not really wearing masks now over there. Yeah. Um, and they seemingly, you know, anecdotally speaking, they seem to have kind of reverted back to a, a pre-mask sort of um, way of being. And there hasn't been a, a particular impact of, of wearing the mask. So... Yeah, I think I think once we get to that moment in time over here in Australia, um, we'll pretty much go back to how we were before. But yeah, I think it's more a question of people are just getting a bit tired, a bit over it. It's been going a long going on a long time, and um, people would kind of like to see the end of it. Yeah. So on, on a final question for you, Dr. Sarah Bentley, if you would mind, um, you are the psychologist or the psych. What's what's the word? The person who understands this better than any of us. Um, from a psych- psychiatric point of view, from a societal point of view, a couple of tips to keep us all sane and and in good frame as we head in towards Christmas and beyond. Yeah, no, that, that that's a very good question. I think we've kind of covered them, but just to highlight, just um, a, summer, a summary, yeah, keeping keeping your expectations kind of reasonable, being compassionate, don't try and be perfect, coming to that, back to that point about parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in it together, so help each other, acknowledge um, that we don't always get it right, laugh our failings, kind of work together on that. Don't don't be hard on ourselves, so kind of be easy on ourselves and, and be kind to ourselves and, and just realise that, yeah, we're going through a very, very difficult thing. It's been going on a long time. Our resources are getting pretty depleted, um, but we're still going to get through it and we'll get through it by supporting each other. So, Kind of being kind and caring and compassionate. And then, of course, because I would say this, but just really reaching out to others, being um, as connected as possible, kind of really just um, making the most of your social resources. Also, I suppose, not just being connected and kind of receiving support, but interestingly, our research shows how when you go and help other people, you actually feel a lot better yourself. Yeah, so not just Isn't that of, the truth? Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so not just a case of being um, getting support in to help you, but also helping others is actually really good for you. So making sure that's a bit of a two-way street so that you're helping others and, and people can then help you in return. So that, just coming back to that sense of we are in it together, that's how we survive, by helping each other. That's how humans have always survived, and that's, that's how we're doing it right now. Fantastic. Well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah Bentley, Research Fellow at the University of Queensland. That was absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for joining us tonight on Searchlight Conversations. Truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Bentley. You're very welcome. Very welcome. Have a good night. Thank you, Doctor. And you. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, Dean, I'm, I'm chuffed. I, I, th- yeah. I, th- I feel so much better now. Look, I think, it's, I think it's a necessity that we have people like Dr. Bentley out there doing this research, the find out. And sometimes the obvious is something that we miss, you know, reaching out and uh, reaching out to people to make sure we have that, maintain that connection. Yeah. You know, it does make it uh, feel a little bit that way sometimes when you put the mask on that it's just you. Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, look, it's great to hear from people like that, Doctor Bentley, and I think, I think hopefully there's going to be a lot more people out there doing this research. Absolutely, and 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 giving us that support in information and, yeah. and letting us know what they're finding out, how to deal with these things, how to manage our lives through this process, and as she said again and again, we're in this together. That's right. You yeah. know, helping each other all the way through is is how we're not only going to get through this, but we're going to get through this better yep. than we were before. Well, well, unfortunately, you know, we've got an economy and we've got a, a, a society at the moment that's uh, suffering, working, working off the health line. Well, this is true. Exactly yeah. right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I, I was going to say something very controversial, and I'll hold on to that. That's okay. But having said that, there was a line that came out of one of the press conferences, uh, I think it was last week, our Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk said something that we both picked up on at the same time and went, excuse me, and that was to dealing with the... Uh, Maybe keeping the borders closed until the kids... What about the children? What about the children under 12 have been vaccinated? What about the children? Yes, look, I don't know whether that was a desperate a desperate move or... But she stood up in Parliament and said it. Yeah, look, I think it, it did cause a bit of disparity among the team, I think, it after that... It pricked my that, ears up, yeah. absolutely, because I haven't been able to find anywhere on the globe anything to support that kind of um, attitude or that kind of line of thinking. Well, our next guest, Dr. Elwin Gavitaro, will give us some background on it. And that's exactly where Is I was leading. Is there something out there? Yeah. Well, as we mentioned earlier on, Dr. Elwin Gavitaro has been with us twice before. He is an expert when it comes to immunisation, immunology, mm-hmm. and he is our next guest on Bay FM 100.3, live and local across the Bayside and beyond. Searchlight Conversations with Dean and Ken, the subject tonight. Has the COVID pandemic become a political football? Searchlight on Bay FM 100.3. Connect with us by SMS on 0468 86 1003. Searchlight Conversations on Bay FM 100.3. And tonight in the conversation, has the COVID pandemic become a political football? Our next guest has been with us a couple of times before and knows everything when it comes to immunology. Well, most things anyway. He's Dr. Elwin Gabatero, Senior Consultant Scientist, PhD in Immunology from the University of Queensland, a postdoctoral fellowship working on Phase 1 clinical trials for a therapeutic melanoma vaccine. He's been directly involved in the registration of numerous immunotherapies and cancer therapies in Australia and New Zealand. He also sits on the Clinical Trials Advisory Board for the QIMR at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Good evening, Dr. Alwyn Gabatero. How are you? Uh, good evening, uh, Ken and Dean. Nice to be back. Yep. Good evening, Alwyn. Fantastic. Great to have you on board. So, recently, we've noticed that um, that uh, the vaccination rates are, are, are coming up uh, for the first first shot and second shot. Do you have any type of uh, information on that, Alwyn, at all? Yes. Yeah, so, so currently, as of today, as of the sixth of September, the current statistics we have from the health uh, from the health Department of Health 
is that um, we've got uh, just over half of Queenslanders vaccinated with the first dose, right? And about a third on the about a third on the second dose. So a third of Queenslanders fully vaccinated, right? Uh, and that New South Wales, which is where they're hardest at the moment, we've got about three quarters which have got their first first dose, and about forty percent. Uh, completely dosed, um, so hopefully they can reach their target um, vaccination rates uh, fairly soon. Yeah, and hopefully Queensland can can also reach them quite soon before an outbreak happens up here. Yeah, exactly. Because I think at the moment our Queensland are at the lowest now, aren't we? I think we're the we're at the bottom of the list at the moment as far as vaccinations yeah, that have yeah. occurred. Yeah. Which is amazing because you know, we've had we, we, it's, which is amazing because we've had so much time to get our act together, yet now we're at the bottom. Um, but I did notice that ATAGI, uh, the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation, has made yes. made it uh, knowledge, public knowledge now that uh, children between the ages of 12 and 15 have been added to Australia's COVID vaccine rollout now. Um, but yeah, there was correct. a mention from a few uh, politicians about children being vaccinated under the, under the age of 12. Is there such a program? Uh, not, not at this stage. There are yep. no vaccines approved in Australia, at least, that are for children under 12. I know there are clinical trials underway overseas for, you know, Moderna, Pfizer, right. and then and so forth. Um, but they won't be available probably until the end of October. So that might not... And depending on how the regulators view the clinical data from those trials, we'll see if they might get approved for children under 12, you know, in the coming months. Right. But, um, yeah, it's still too early to say. So, say so, whether... so can you give us a brief rundown on how it works? So the older people at a particular age are more susceptible to the virus and it goes down, doesn't it? Right. I mean, the younger you yeah. become, the less chance of the virus affecting you badly. It still could affect you, but not as bad yeah. as that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And the reason so, is? Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, we, there's a few theories around. Um, we don't know the exact reason, but uh, I think the prevailing theory is that uh, the young, younger children, say children under 12, for example, seem to have a more robust innate immunity response. So, that, so there's two arms to the immune system. It's called one, the first arm yep. is called the innate immune response. So that's what happens when we get infected. Uh, so that's, the, that's our first line of defense when we get infected. Right. And then a few weeks to months after that, then we develop what we call an adaptive immunity. So that's a more specific immune response to the pathogen. So it seems like kids seem to have more robust innate immune response. Um, but that's the current theory. Right, okay. Of course, that could change. Right, okay. So what's the main reason why? The, 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 I mean, there is a, little, a few concerns about side effects on younger people, isn't there? I mean, to, because of, of what, what is it? Pericarditis, is that correct? And myocarditis? Uh, yeah, per- pericarditis. And Carditis, I, I okay. don't wish to scare anybody I'm just throwing in a couple of I's and E's in there to make it sound better. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, and I, I don't wish to scare anybody off the vaccine because, of course, yep. they are very safe and all these, yeah. extreme, all these events are extremely rare. But, um, yeah, so, as, so as, you get yo- as you get younger, your risk of, um, you know, severe COVID disease decreases. It's right. not as bad as in younger people as it is in older people. Right. But it seems to be um, the risk of um, some of these adverse events sort of sort of increase. 
Um, but all, as we sort of discussed last time with Dr. Chima, all these decisions are based on risk-benefit analysis. So, right, okay, um, yes. So the, so the doctor determines with each individual patient if the benefit of taking the vaccine outweighs the risk, and that's determined at a, at a medical level. And, and yeah, the overwhelming consensus appears to be that the, the benefit does far outweigh the risk. Right, okay. Do children have a higher rate of, of spreading the virus than, than older, or...? Or do they have a lower volume of the virus within them that makes it not as bad? It's it's not clear, but um, because what we do know is that with children, they appear to largely get it within the household. So which is why um, uh, people were pushing for for adults to get vaccinated so that in turn, turn will prevent their children from becoming vaccinated. That appears one of the main routes of infection for young children from the parent to the child within that household. Right, okay. That's why it is important for adults to get vaccinated. So that, that, there's a couple of cases we've read in the in the news uh, in the last little bit, particularly one that that's stood out for me was that the poor young mother whose baby was, I think, nine days old and was uh, diagnosed with COVID. How does that happen? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I could guess that it's called—it's what we would call a nosocomial infection. Maybe, maybe the baby got it while they were in hospital somehow. Uh-huh. Right, okay. Uh huh. Right. Okay. Maybe there was a visitor, or maybe the mum might have been infected, or maybe there was a visitor that was infected and might have passed it on to the baby. Uh, you know, there's—it's there's so many possible ways for. for that it just shows you now that you know the vaccinations we've realised now are safe. Yes, and they are going to be of benefit to us, but it's, it also shows you that we really do not have a, a real complete knowledge of the virus itself. And I mean, it's still, you know, all over the place, isn't it? I mean, it's terrible. Well, well, this is the thing, yeah. and yeah, it has it has changed. The, the The virus itself has changed since day one. And that's mm-hmm. pretty obvious. We're now hearing a yeah. new new versions of it, um, and I think. From the understanding that I've got so far, as the science is saying, don't get too excited. We're, it's still not a big problem yet. It does evolve. It will evolve, but don't get too concerned. It's not as bad as what we're seeing with Delta, for example. Um, am I am I in uh, the, the right path there, uh, Elwin? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, the Delta version is is definitely a concern. If anything, I think that should encourage us to get vaccinated quicker um, because the vaccine does seem to work against the Delta variant. It's just that um, the difference between the Delta variant and the original variants that we're aware of is that it's more it's more transmissible. It doesn't seem to be more virulent, so it doesn't seem to cause a more severe disease. Yeah. But it does seem to be twice as infectious, which means more people will get severely ill because it's just more people will be infected. So let's just suggest... Can I ask a question? Let's suggest that ninety-five percent of the population is is vaccinated against gets a vaccination against COVID nineteen in whichever variant or form that it is. And mm-hmm. what does the virus do next? Yeah, well, that's that's an interesting question because I think that determines on how quick a virus mutates. Because how quick a virus mutates can affect how quick it will evade vaccine um, or escape vaccine therapy, yeah. vaccine treatment. So the good news is that the, COVID, the SARS-CoV-2 virus doesn't seem to mutate as quickly as the influenza virus, so that's a good news. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, God for that's that. the first but, time uh, I've heard that. Thank you. I don't know if we should be thanking you for that, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I like that kind of news. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. But uh, the, 
the the bad news is that um, yeah, the virus can mutate, and there's been quite a few modelling studies showing that um, it is possible for the virus to escape uh, the vaccine effectivity uh, effectiveness. Sorry. So, um, it, in in my mind, from what I'm seeing and from the mutation rates that are occurring, it it does very much seem like that it might become a seasonal thing where we might need a yearly vaccine very similar to the influenza All right, vaccine. Okay. Yeah, 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 okay. So under those circumstances, like the flu, does it become less of a serious disease and just one of those seasonal things that we sort of kind of learn to live with? doesn't really affect our lives so much and, you know, we'll take a couple of days off work and get better again. It's hard to tell, but... Um it is worse than the flu. I don't want to compare it with the flu and sort of, you know, play the seriousness down because it is significantly worse than the flu and much more of a concern. But uh-huh. um, as we as we start to understand the virus more and its biology, um, we will be able to develop better vaccine strategies. And because it doesn't mutate as quickly as the virus, hopefully the vaccination strategies and therapeutic strategies um, might be more effective than the yearly influenza vaccine. But... Uh, all this remains to be seen. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, now, I heard something, and I, I don't know how accurate this is, which is why I'm asking you the question to to uh, to uh, either put a kibosh on it or say, yeah, okay. But I heard that, let's just say, for example, COVID hit today. If the entire world's population was vaccinated very, very quickly, the chance of it mutating into something even more serious is very, very small. Yeah, that's true, because it would have less chance of it spreading um, so the, the less chance that it has to spread, the less chance it has to mutate, and the less chance it has to evolve and escape uh, vaccine. So, so it becomes more benign in that respect. Mm-hmm. So the more we get vaccinated, yeah. the better. Yes. Yeah. More that, people that, get vaccinated, that's better. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Okay. So that, that's interesting. So in other words, if in the very first part of COVID, if we had a very good vaccine that could could have gone to market almost immediately, we'd be in a very different situation today on the globe. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. it would have stopped um, viral replication significantly, yeah. which would have significantly decreased the chance of these mutations evolving. That's incredible. Well, that's, that's yeah. great. Well, yeah. thank you very much, Dr. Elwin. That's been great. It's got a bit, more, no, a bit more knowledge in there for us, for our, our listeners out there to understand what's been going on with it and also with children because that's another thing that, that comes up with a lot of people's questions. Absolutely. Is yeah. it safe? What can we do? Yeah. 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 Thanks again. Excellent. Uh, magic answer, answered a bunch of my questions. Thank you so much, Dr. Alan Gabataro. Thank you so much for joining us on our Searchlight Conversations. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, See you, mate. Bye. Well, Excellent. Well, there you go. Yeah, so, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's what we need. I think we just need to, in this infodemic that's out there, we need good, solid, truthful information so people can make a, 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 a definite decision. And ease some of the anxiety. Yeah, of course, yeah, because it's the, it's the unanswered questions, isn't it? Well, so, it's, it's the ambiguous is it, is it, answers yeah, as well. Yeah. What's it going yeah. to do to me? What's it yeah. going to do to my children? Contradictory I mean, answers, all. all that stuff. Yeah. As Dr. Dr. Sarah Bentley said before, you know, these things add up in the end and cause these anxieties. Correct. There's this disconnection of us, yeah. you know. We go and hide in the corner because we're afraid of what it might do to us and our family. I mean, it's awful, yeah. awful. Well, hopefully then, now talk about vaccination, Yes. Hopefully now we'll get on to our politicians. Well, we will now. We've, we've, we've got all the facts in play. Right. We've got the information that we needed. We've yep. got our, our yep. library of information that we needed. And so our next two guests are really going to, uh, well, <laughs> well, let's just say um, we're going we're gonna to grill them a little bit. Yeah. 
Don, do we have a vaccination against politicians? Um, no, sadly. Jeez, it'd be um, great if we could have one. <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble, Dean. <laughs> Leave it alone. Well, I won't be on the air for very much longer, <laughs> no, I think, by the sounds of it. Yeah. No, I like to yeah. be here for a while longer. Anyway, yeah. Don Brown is coming in, and after that, Brent uh, Mickelberg will be our guest here on Searchlight Conversations. Looking forward to it. One from the left, one from the right, one from the government, and one, one from, from the opposition. One from red and one from blue. One from red, one from blue, and we don't want to lose you, so stick around. It's going to be a very interesting conversation as we head towards 9 o'clock here on Bay FM. 100.3 live and local Searchlight Conversations. Searchlight Conversations on Bay FM 100.3. And tonight, the, cap- the topic du jour is Has the COVID pandemic become a political football? So, we welcome our very first political guest. Don Brown is an Australian politician. He's been the Labor member for Capalabar in the Queensland Legislative Assembly since 2015. Before politics, he studied applied science and law at the University of Technology in Queensland. He has worked as a pathology scientist and a union official. He served as the chief government whip in the Queensland Legislative Assembly since December 2017. We say good evening, Don Brown. How's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good, good evening, yeah. Don. Thank you for making the effort to be on the show tonight. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure. Yes, always. So, Don, with uh, COVID affecting uh, New South Wales so badly now, and they've seen it's affected so many different businesses, the first question I'd like to ask you is, like, what does the Queensland government have in place if we go into a major lockdown like New South Wales for small business, for small and family businesses? What's in place for those? What, what's, what, what would the government do to help these people? So... Um uh, after our, I think our last chat, yep. I think um, we've gone in partnership um, with obviously the federal government uh, to have a business, a small business assist package. Right. Uh, about $25 million has already gone out uh, the door to small businesses across uh, Queensland. So it's a $600 million program um, that allows businesses to uh, apply for up to $30,000 grants right, um, that okay. are impacted by Queensland lockdowns. So in that so, last small uh, lockdown we had, those those uh, that $750 that was given out to people that were impacted by that short lockdown, was that a federal released money or was that from the Queensland government? So when the last one? It was yes, the, the last one. Businesses were, the businesses were uh, the Queensland government and individuals, I think you're referring to the to the, uh, uh, the worker package, which That's I right, was $550 with the federal government. So this one's, uh, since then, um, obviously there's been a lot of learnings between New South Wales and we're uh, able to negotiate with the federal government to get this $600 million package um, right. for businesses. And also there's one-off grants for sole traders of $1,000 if they're affected by a COVID lockdown, yeah. Right, okay. And for, for how long would that be on for? I mean, is that just so a, one, is that's a one-off payment, isn't it? Yeah, so we've got this running until 30th of November 2021. Right. Um, obviously, in that time, we're hoping to get our vaccination rates up right? Um, and working towards a plan uh, to open up. But obviously, at this stage, and it'll be obviously reassessed by then, but... Like I said previously, I think the best thing that we can do is make sure businesses don't close down in the first place. Um, we want to try and keep Queensland COVID-free and businesses open because that's the best way 
that's what businesses want to do. They just they want to trade. That's they, right. They but, un- but, un- but unfortunately, uh, so yeah. many service industries have been affected by. COVID. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. You've got to, you've got to define business, and and I what yeah. I'm seeing is the definition of business from the Queensland government is quite narrow. No, no, this is all all small businesses. Yeah. Okay, I I own a a, a club, and I'm not allowed to have patrons. What do I do to my business? So, if you're affected by uh, the small business uh, by, by the, the lockdown, you'd be able to jump onto the uh, Queensland government business website, and mm-hmm. depending on the amount of loss or your details of your business, you can look up there and see what grants are available to you right. uh, if a lockdown does occur. It's, a, it's very hard to sort of. Because the, the, the information and what your business is experiencing, um, we've got different type of things, payroll tax relief, we've got um, uh, we've got liquor licensing um, fee relief, um, there's uh, COVID grants for um, cleaning, also adaption grants. There's a whole suite of, um, obviously, business measures that we've got. Um, and the best way to understand that is just going to our website, which is www.business.qld.gov.au. Right. Um, and, and you'll be able to see what details your business is, uh, is and obviously what you've gone through and therefore um, apply accordingly to what grant and release are available to you. Right, okay, so what we did have was that we had quite a few people in the local area contact us and they said that when they received that money from the federal government, that $750 or whatever it was they got, they got it pretty much almost immediately. Some people actually applied for it that day, got it that afternoon. Some I people did. applied I, for it. I applied it on the Sunday two, morning two, and got it Sunday night. Two days later, got yeah. it, received the money, which was fantastic. Awesome. But, but it was mentioned by by David uh, uh, Fully the, the this morning at the press conference that but only 3% of the other money has been released from the Queensland government for businesses. So we've released $25 million, um, right. and obviously we've got to make sure that we work through it uh, correctly and, and ensure that uh, we're doing all the checks and balances. Obviously, right. we saw a big story last night about uh, JobKeeper and $13 billion going to uh, businesses that made um, made profits. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. So we want, we want to make sure those checks and balances are done in a speedy enough fashion, but also making sure that we're not uh, wasting huge amounts of taxpayers' dollars, which we saw the federal government do recently with JobKeeper. Okay, but for service industries like barmen, uh, barmaids, dealing with uh, clubs and pubs, restaurants and so on. Security industry. Security industry, yeah. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't you release money quicker than that? I mean, with those guys, knowing that they're going to be affected day by day. We have been. Yeah. And, And we have been, yeah. So... Um, it, it's yeah, and as we said, twenty five million dollars has gone out uh, from the last lockdown. Uh, but it's there; the package is uh, ready to go. Um, and if it does touch wood, it doesn't happen again. If it does, um, obviously, um, we'll uh, with this new program, it, the, the 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 response time will come down and down, no doubt. Yeah. So you basically you're relying upon the vaccination rate as your as your bloody safety blanket, really, aren't you? Well, no, actually, we're, we're relying on, um, obviously, a multitude of, um, yeah. of measures, which is the borders, keeping it out uh, to begin with. Um, obviously, uh, contact tracing. Um, and then, look, like the best thing that businesses can do right now, and we've seen it with down in Logan with the nail salon, only one customer had the QR code checked yeah. in. Uh, out of the eight. Now, that th- we've lost three days of contact tracing by going through CCTV to try and find the rest of those customers. 
Now, if one of those customers has got COVID, there's an extra three days out, out in the community. Yeah. Uh, that's when we start to see lockdown. So the best thing businesses can be doing right now is ensuring that all their customers are using that QR code um, and so we could do that quick contact tracing because that's what avoids lockdowns. Yeah, well, avoids long lockdowns. Potentially. Well, yeah, avoids lockdowns yeah. as well, yeah. So yeah. Um, as, we, as, as we see with the um, quick contact tracing, every uh, minute, every hour, every day that's lost, um, it, it means that that person is out in the community for longer, more exposure sites, yep. more people they're in contact with. So um, I think that's... We've got to make sure that we're really on top of that and we're making sure that the customers are doing it uh, yeah. and also the businesses are uh, making sure their customers are doing it. And that, that, that's all well and done, but uh, I must admit, after I saw those scenes on Father's Day yesterday, watching people at the Coolangatta <laughs> Wall uh, sitting on the wall talking to each other, no masks on, I must have saw heavily armed police walking around them and so on, um, uh, What's the, what's the issue with that? I mean, how come we can't have these residents come back into our state? I mean, can't, can't I know that the fact is that you've cut down the hotel uh, uh, accommodation idea, but by two fifths or five tenths of bugger all, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you explain that to us, Don? I don't, I don't. There's a lot of people look at that. You can understand what it means, right? Is that when you see that, is that you see it being, um, it, it gives. That opens the door up for the conspiracy theorists. Look at this. Here's these people all sitting around together trying to talk to each other's family and so on on Father's Day on a make-believe wall that's there. Um, obviously, the borders have helped us keep uh, COVID out of this state. Obviously, you've got to draw the line somewhere. Um, the whole And let's also look, New South Wales is all in a lockdown. That's not our, our, our rules. That's their rules. Yeah. Um, they, they're locked down. They're supposed to be staying at home. Those people on the New South Wales side are supposed to be in their house, staying home under their laws. Um, so uh, when it comes to, obviously, uh, the border, um, we've got to make sure that... Um, and it's tough. It's obviously... It does It does mean that... Um, it does mean that, uh, that we have to uh, make sure that um, uh, we... Um, Make sure those borders are effective as well. We, we can't we can't organise like a border bubble or something, especially down at Coolangatta. Well, we, 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 we tried to we tried to do that. The office on the table at the moment, yeah, um, to move the border checkpoint down further so those Tweed residents can be together. Now that office on the table just needs the New South Wales government to come to the table and negotiate that. But uh, until, like I said, until New South Wales does that. They've got to, those New South Wales residents have got to follow the New South Wales law. We can't change. Yeah, yeah but New what South about Wales the Queensland residents yeah. that are being caught in New South Wales? Why can't they come home? Well, that's and and they can come home right. through quarantining, and that's a, and that's why we've got a board. Like um, the reason is is that we've got to keep COVID out, and uh, to keep COVID out, we've got to have the uh, border. Um, and obviously, those people who do want to come back can do uh, the fourteen day quarantine. Right, okay. So I don't want to sound facetious here, but so what's the difference of those people that are Queensland residents that are on the other side of the border in Coolangatta? What's the difference between them and the football team and football team's families and the cricket team's families and coming the entourage. into entourage coming into the state? What's the difference? What what, what makes it? No, I did hear there's someone's. No, there's no difference because they both have to do 14 days quarantine. <laughs> um, 
Yes, but no one, one is allowed no in and the other isn't. Because one came in by aeroplane and the other one came across the road. That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you another story that I watched on, on Sunrise the other morning, which just blew me out of the water, Don. I just couldn't believe this. An 85-year-old lady lives in Queensland. She goes seven kilometres across the border to go to work because she has to work. She's on a pension. On the day that Anastasia Palaszczuk calls the border closed by sending a text out to a whole bunch of people, 85-year-old lady doesn't know what a text is, and she's on her way home from work on that same day, no further than seven kilometres across the border. The lockdown came in on the day that she was across the border in work trying to get back home again, and now she's stuck on the other side and she has to stay out of Queensland until the border opens again. How does that make sense? Um, I, I sort of can't comment on individual um, experiences. Yeah, but that's, yeah, we, 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 that's, we, that's, that's, that's the point, Don. But, uh, that's entirely what, what the I point. Can say, what, I can, what, what I can say is that with, there was been day after day of plenty of warnings from the Chief Health Officer and the Premier about um, not venturing into uh, New South Wales. Uh, the other thing is is that uh, we have an exemption unit um, that people can apply to to return back. Obviously, b- borders are hard. These are hard decisions. Um, but there is over 30,000 active cases in New South Wales. We can't pretend there isn't any COVID uh, in New South Wales. Even the New South Wales government knows there's COVID in the regional areas. They've locked down the whole state themselves. So those people uh, need to stay home in their houses themselves based on the New South Wales lockdown. Now... Um, obviously, border, the border closure puts people out. There's no doubt right. about it. But we're doing it to make sure that businesses stay open. We're open. We've got okay. So, so on. to keep everyone safe here, on. we've got school on. We've got yep. like and, and, and which is great that we we have the opportunity. Yeah, and uh, but it comes at a cost, and, we, yeah. and I'm not disputing it. It it it, it comes at a cost of making sure that we enforce those border restrictions. Right. Are we ready for it, but? Like it's not a matter of when it's going. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The, you know, yeah. the, the, this strain will will it's cross the border. Right so, the so, so, driver, so, yeah. so will we be ready for it? Um, if we have to go into something like, will Queensland be ready for? It? Are we? Have we learnt the lessons from New South Wales and Victoria? Well, we're doing it right now. Right, we're doing it right now with the Logan truck driver who has um, obviously now given it to uh, the, the four-year-old girl and her mother. Yep. But quick contract tracing. Um, testing regularly, obviously they um, making sure that we can uh, quickly trace those people, locking down that those that school community. Um, and we saw it in we saw it in the Indooroopilly cluster. Like to to knock that over in nine days was um, a yeah. fantastic feat by the, the southeast Queensland people. One in which hasn't been replicated in Victoria, New South Wales, and even a small territory yeah. like the, the ACT haven't been able to do that. Um, and that just shows how good um, the people of Queensland, are. Yeah. and this is what I lo- love about Queenslanders, is is they they're putting on the mask, they're doing the QR codes. They're not. They're, it doesn't seem like they they don't rebel as much as those southern states. And right. they okay. Help <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't I don't know if that's true, but 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 my attitude to it is this way, Don. In a recent poll, they that they come across saying that. There's a lot of Australians out there now more concerned about the lockdowns than they are concerned about actually catching the virus. And I mean, and business is a big thing here. That's yeah. a fortunate situation we've got here in Queensland. We don't, we've got um, 16 active cases, but it takes a lot of hard work to make sure yeah, there's 16 active cases. 
We're not New South Wales have been in lockdown for twelve weeks. They'll probably be locked down for a lot longer than that. We've been since the first lockdown. We've only been locked down for eighteen days, and it takes a, a lot of work. And we can't be complacent because we're seeing down in New South Wales now the hospital system um, under a hell of a lot of plate pressure. Um, we're seeing kids in ICUs, kids on ventilators, yeah. and. Um, and also, we're seeing. Well, that's a, that's a good point. There is our people, hospital people, system ready for it. <laughs> you took the question right people, out of my mouth. Yeah, exactly. Are we prepared for it? If we if it hits us, dying in this, dying in this well before they even get to the hospital. Yeah, we know um, that. We actually spoke that, to a Dr. Yeah, George Toomer last yeah, interview and told us the horrific yeah, things that are occurring. So, um, and I, I, um, and that's the, the key indicator with all this is making sure that our systems that we keep cases low so we don't overload our systems that. Um, our ICUs are there for, for other accidents and yeah. other patients, not full of COVID patients. Well, I hope so, Don. You know, we, we voted you guys in for a reason, <laughs> that you're our representatives, and I um, hope you're going to keep us safe on this because just shutting the borders out for people is not the only way to do it. I mean, we, have, we do have to think well, of the economy eventually. Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly... And like I said, our economy's growing, jobs are growing, mm. people are moving up here in their droves, um, and, um, and and we're doing that because we're getting the health response right. Yeah, now, but there's I've still a lot of businesses that are closing a, at the moment a, too, Don. There are still a lot a, of businesses closing. Well, it, it, there is, and but there's also a lot of businesses opening up and there's a lot of people getting hired at the moment. There's shortages in, in jobs um, across this state in skills mixes and that, and that's uh, that's a good problem to have. Um, um, it's a whole lot better than being in three or four months worth of lockdown like we're seeing with our uh, New South Wales mates. Don Brown, thank you very much for joining us tonight on Searchlight Conversations. It's always a delight to have a chat with you. Even though we do get a little bit aggressive, we seem to get some some honest answers out of you. And honestly, I, I really do hope that uh, you're on the right path. Yep, Don, we're, we're counting on you, mate. Yeah. I'm not convinced. Well, one, of the, one of the only few, uh, few uh, politicians with a scientific and microbiology background, that it's, it's obviously a, an area that we, I want to make sure that we get right as well. So, yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. No, yeah. thank you very much, Don. Much appreciated. All I, all I can ask for you, Don, is to, to stay in line with the science and keep the politics out of our health system. Mate, and put, the, and put the word out there. Hopefully yeah. we might even get the Premier on our Could show one day, on. maybe. Eh? Yeah, good luck. Hey, Don, <laughs> you're, you're the government whip. Make it happen. Make it happen, Don. Yeah. We know you can do it. <laughs> Don Brown, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, Don. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Cheers for now. Yeah. Bye-bye. There you go. Okay, Dean. We're going, to, we're going to go the opposite side of the politics right now. We're going to sit on the other side. Well, that's good. You know, look, it's like anything. You know, we, we can give these guys a bit of grief every now and then. They're the that's politicians. Right. That's their job. They yep. need to take it. But, look, we just need that honest answers. That's it. You know, where are we going? What are we doing? You know, the, the thing I'm, I'm, it bothers me a little bit, we've got a lot of people, and, and, and sorry if I offend anyone out there in radio world, but, uh, you know, with retirees, people that are sitting at home, people that can do their jobs while they're at home if there is a lockdown, but there is also a multitude of people out there that can't do their jobs at home. I can't. And they're the people that suffer from these lockdowns yeah. and suffer from this, this disease. The, the concern is maybe some of these people that are living off a pension, some people living off their assets, people that are living off their, their superannuation, maybe take into mind sometimes that, you know, think of you when you were young with a young, struggling family. 
these are the people that, that things are a little I bit tougher. That's it. Yeah. We're fighting for. We're yeah. we're fighting for the people that are that do have to go to work. But both mum and dad have to have second jobs to maintain the mortgage. I mean, hopefully people will start taking this in mind when this situation comes mm. in the hand. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's no there's no one size fits all approach with this. It's, no, there it's isn't. just not it possible. Is. It's not. And I happen. honestly believe it's a week by week, day by day, month by month situation. I'm I really really am. My heart goes out to the entertainment industry, to the uh, uh, the hospitality, hospitality industry. Thank you, the hospitality industry and the tourism in, tourism industries because they're the ones and the entertainers. They're the ones that are really, really copping the brunt of this, and they're getting the the raw edge of it the whole time. Yep. And there's been no comment on them, no relief for them, no yep. consult, nothing. Nothing. It's just sorry, buddy, live with it. Yeah. And that's the bit that really, really, really gets well, my that, dandruff up. Well, if yeah. you read in that poll that put across there, they said that people that are making over $100,000 a year seem to be uh, cover through, get through the, 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 the lockdown financially. Yeah. But the people, either one in 12 that are under that, yeah. are struggling to survive. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it, you know, Absolutely. it's awful, you know? Yeah. You know, and I love it when the, the you know, <laughs> I'm being really bad here, but you know, the political parties go to their rallying come election time and they go to the entertainment industry and say, come along and bang the drum for my particular political party. Now, we're not going to pay you anything, but we just want you to come along and, you know, rah, rah, rah and support us. Okay, now the shoe's on the other foot. Bay FM 100.3. Searchlight Conversations. The conversation tonight is, has the COVID pandemic become a political football? And to go to the other side of politics, we'll welcome Brent, McKick- Brent Mickelberg, the Shadow Minister for Small and Family Business, next on Bay FM. Searchlight Conversations on Bay FM 100.3. Has the COVID pandemic become a political football? That's the topic of conversation tonight with Dean and Ken. And our next guest is Brent, Brent Mickelberg, who is an Australian politician been an LNP member for Budrum since 2017, served in the Australian Army as an infantry infantry officer and during that time he deployed to East Timor, Afghanistan and worked on the border protection operations. He is also the Shadow Minister for Small and Family Business. I'd imagine that time in Afghanistan and East Timor was probably preferable to politics at the moment. Brent, good evening. How are you? <laughs> uh, evening, gentlemen. Yeah, from one battlefield to another. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Which one was the better place to be? Let's not answer that question right now, shall we? No, <laughs> no but uh, yes. Thanks for joining us tonight, Brent. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, Brent, uh, you've just... I don't know if you've been listening to the program or you heard us talking to uh, Don Brown, MP there. Um, yep. I did mention him prior, mentioned prior to that, saying that, you know, retirees uh, are the ones that seem to be surviving quite well during this pandemic. They seem to be the most resilient, and, and that's from this poll that was recently done. It also said oh. that young Australians and poor households are suffering the most, with 18 to 35-year-olds are the ones that seem to be getting worse from it all, the ones that are earning less than $50,000 a year suffering the highest rate of financial loss, whereas the wealthy Australians earning more than 100000 a year are twice as likely to report better off financial over the, over the past three to six months. Um, what would, what has the LNP got in place for small business and family business if we run into, if you guys are in charge and we ran into a COVID situation like New South Wales and Victoria, what would you mm. do differently than what the Queensland government is doing now? Well, I think it's really important. You mentioned the 18 to 35 year olds there. I think it's really important to note that small business employs about 43% 
of the private sector workforce, and many of those employees sit in that age bracket. Um, and the casual employees that are wait staff and, and those sort of jobs. So then when we talk about small business, sometimes it's easy to forget that it's as much about their employees as it is about the, the business owners themselves. To answer your question, um, I think what small business has been crying out for through the duration of the pandemic is certainty. Um, you know, every time we go into a lockdown, small business have to make decisions on the fly. Um, and, you know, I think... Most small business owners would accept that dealing with COVID's got to be a shared responsibility. The view is, though, that too much of that has fallen on small business today, be that financially. I heard Don talking about the check-in app and business enforcing that. Well, there's another part of that conversation, which is about government educating um, consumers to, so that it doesn't just fall on small business owners and their staff. Um, so I think really what's missing is uh, greater consistency, to, to ensure that we drive business confidence, we'd like to see things like the health advice, which is often relied on, published. Uh, and we actually debated the extension of the COVID legislation last week in Parliament. We moved amendments to that effect to try to link um, any any decisions um, so that health advice is also released. And, and that's... You know, the point was made, oh, well, businesses won't be able to consume it anyway. But the, the point is it provides businesses with information that then enables them to plan. The decision may be the same... Yeah. But how do they plan for what's going to happen next time without the information? So they're the kind of areas we think there can be um, some improvement. Um, but, but let's be honest, Brent. I mean, after talking to Don then, seriously, the, the, the Queensland, the government at this present time, has done not a bad job maintaining our business and maintaining our safety up here recently. Is that correct? I mean... Well, I think um, Queenslanders have done a great job. Right. I mean, I, I, I know Don said, um, you know, Queenslanders have have been quite accepting of what's happened today. Yep. Um, Queenslanders are relatively compliant with with the, the considerable impost that's been placed on them. Um, and look, the proof is in the pudding, I guess you could say. Um, but but it shouldn't be forgotten that there is, and I think you made the point earlier, there, there's a consequence to a lot of these decisions. Yeah. Uh, I guess our view is that that consequence is not being factored in adequately. So uh, businesses carrying the can... And, you know, the point was made, well, lots of businesses are closing. And Don said, well, lots are opening. I'm not sure that's quite a fair representation of what's happening yeah, well, out there. Look, I deal with business on a daily basis, and I will tell you now, there are quite a few businesses that are closing. The ones that couldn't handle the situation, especially when that last lockdown, mate, I saw at least a dozen businesses shut their doors after that. I mean, that, no matter and, what. Yeah. And, and business, look, Queensland has the highest rate of uh, insolvency in the nation. Right. Um, so there are... Some people are, d- are doing well out of out of the uh, pandemic. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. Of course. However, if you go to Cool and Gatta, and I've been down there multiple times in the last couple of months, I can tell you businesses are on their knees. Uh, if you go to Cairns, businesses are on their knees. Um, it, 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 it is not regionally based either. Certain industries have really suffered as a consequence, and you mentioned a few of them before, around the entertainment industry, hospitality, tourism. That's right, yep. So... Um, we need to ensure that there's a safety net for those businesses and, more importantly, the consequences for their employees so that people are able to put food on the table. Uh, because, you know, I'm shadow members of small family business. Those businesses are they're, they're the fabric that make up our society. They sponsor the local footy team. You know, they, they're involved in the PNC. If they fail and they leave our communities, that's going to leave a massive hole. And, unfortunately, what I'm seeing is that business confidence, particularly in the last couple of months, 
is is really significantly eroded. Um, yes. I've definitely that. noticed the change in demographic mm. that way, uh, for sure. Yep. Uh, I think uh, a lot of business uh, owners at this present time don't feel the confidence. I certainly don't feel the confidence at this present time. I'm more concerned. Uh, and I must admit, I, I suppose after talking to our Dr. Sarah Bentley, uh, I'm one of those businessmen at the moment there where I'm getting stressed and feeling the pressure because yeah. I'm wondering when the next lockdown will be. It was I'm a, more concerned about the lockdown than the virus. It was a bit of a slap in the face to say that there's a lot of businesses opening despite yeah. the fact that a lot of businesses are closing. Those businesses yeah, that are closing same, yeah. have are under severe stress and That's anxiety right. and pressure. They've put their life on the line. They've put their whole entire in their entirety on their line, their relationships and everything else that goes with it. And through no fault of their own, their businesses are going, how yeah. anybody in a small business operation can survive for 18 months with that income, I don't understand. Okay, but at the same time too, um, Queensland hasn't really been affected as badly as the other states in that area. Okay. Yeah, except for the fact that hospitality and the uh, entertainment industry well, the regulation has been closed down it. most of yeah. the time. All the time. Yeah. All the time. I just always love it that we seem to always open up on a Sunday when the football game starts. Uh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> I don't, the virus seems to disappear suddenly on a, on a Sunday, early Sunday I can morning. Tell you, I can tell you a but, story but, on that, but we won't get into that one tonight. We're running but out of time. The concern I have, yeah. is, but the question I want to ask you, Brent, is, okay, so do you believe that the actual government, the Queensland government's business plan now for COVID relief, and I'm talking about their plan, not the federal government's one, because we've already proven and shown that the federal government one w- was outstanding. I mean, within 24 oh. hours or 12 hours, people receive their payments. I know that for a fact from people who I know that have directly received their payments almost immediately, which is amazing. But David Christopher fully d- mentioned the day on his press release that, that only 3% of the so-called loans from the government have been released to these businesses. Yep. Now, I know a lot of these businesses can't survive waiting for this money to come in. Is the money limited? Could there be, or have you in mind, a better package? Has the LNP got a better package in mind to help with Queensland businesses? Well, I think that the, the first point is that we're a month out of the, the lockdown for which that grant money was supposedly a response to. Yep. So a month after lockdown, we still can only get three, or if you use Don's number that he, he said before, 4% yep. of the money into the pocket of small businesses. Right. They needed that money a month ago. Not only did they need a month, the money a month ago, they needed the certainty of knowing that if a lockdown came along, there would be a package. Um, sole traders, which Don mentioned, they, the grant applications for that only opened up last week. Yeah, so and also it does mention about, on the website, it says May help sole traders. Yeah, yeah correct. Uh, <laughs> For $1,000, yeah. Okay, yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, correct. And uh, Don mentioned that this package that they've got in place goes through till November. It's slightly um, misrepresenting the facts. It's open till November, but it only covers the previous lockdowns in August in Cairns and Brizzy. So there is no package for the next lockdown or the one after that. Right, so okay. you say, how would, wow. how would we improve it? Well, the first thing I'd do wow. is put in place certainly for the next lockdown and the one after that so businesses can plan. If you're throwing... I, I, uh, I met with a cafe owner who owns seven different cafes. He's actually a veteran. Uh, runs seven cafes in Brisbane and he disposed of about $15,000 worth of food um, when the last lockdown happened. Now, he gave some of it to a DV shelter and et cetera and so forth, but at the end of the day, he made a $15,000 loss. Now... Yeah. Businesses can wear that, but they've got to know what the rules of the game are. So announcing a grant that's going to come in a month after you finish that lockdown doesn't help him. Um, He's got to be able to get through that on his own resources. If he knew that he had 
some support that would enable him to plan. Now, a lot of businesses are closing the doors saying, hey, we're not prepared to take that risk anymore. Yeah. Um, there's businesses, and it's not just your hospitality businesses, bookshops, yes, I've, I've, I've heard um, that myself yeah. from quite a few businesses. They're not willing to take the chance anymore. Yeah. Yep. They're counting so the chickens that, and running. That's certainty piece. The certainty is where we need to improve. Timeliness, yep. certainty. Um, for me, it's not good enough that a month after a lockdown's finished, yep. that only 3 or 4% of businesses have got money in their pocket. It's, yeah. it's, it's next to useless three months, a month later. But I must admit, like they said, you know, look, Queensland has been kept safe. I think we've been spoilt, to be honest. I think we really have been spoilt. We haven't been touched by the virus as much as anyone else has been. But I, but I, at the same time, too, I have to ask the question is, it's easy for you guys to say what you're doing now because you're not in the hot seat. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's a fair point. Is there any unity happening here? Like, you know, the thing I see is every time I hear a press conference from either side, but more so one than the other, I keep hearing about the problems that the federal government is causing with the state government. I don't hear any unity. I don't hear a, a, a combination, a, a, a teamwork, congruency. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At, yeah. at this time, and at this time with this pandemic, which amazes me. Why aren't we hearing about Labor and the LNP working together in solving the issues for Queensland business? Yeah. Yep. And look, we've, uh, you mentioned our leader, David Christian Foley, wherever possible, we've tried to give credit where credit's due. And yep. uh, even when the government put this package, the, the small business support package on the table, even though it's not what we necessarily would have liked to have seen 100%, it's a step in the right direction, so credit where credit's due. At least we've got some movement. But unfortunately, what we've seen is, and the reality is we've been through an election in the middle of COVID, so we've lived this firsthand. But um, the politics of fear has played well. Um, well that's the it's... simple fact of the matter, and that's why the government keep going to that. If we look, look at Cairns, for an example, um, Cameron Dick said to the federal member up there, Warren Etch is an LNP member, hey, mate, where's the federal government support package for Cairns? And Warren went back to him and said, well, if you put, tell us what the state's prepared to put in, I'll go into bat with Josh Frydenberg and advocate for funding, funding from the Fed side. The joint partnership, the response he got back from the tre- this Treasurer of there was, well, why don't you just cross the floor, mate? That, that, that's not constructive. That's not what the community wants or needs. Yeah. That's playing politics for the sake of it. Um, well, someone's and going to have to take the first step on this because I think that's what we need at this present time. Unity, we need certainty. We leadership. need people out there. Yeah, we need leadership. We mm. need people out there to feel some confidence within business. This is becoming a long-term thing for us. It's going to be around forever now, this COVID, and we really do need to yeah. be able to respond to it. And, and, and yeah. it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Do you need Ken yeah. and I to organise a... Um, a uh, uh, a meeting between the Premier and Mr. Christopher Lee. <laughs> I mean, do you, want, do you want us to organise an intervention? <laughs> I'm sure, uh, I'm sure our leader, Doug Chris, will he be happy to uh, meet with the Premier to discuss how Because I'm telling you, I class myself as being a sensible man and, and, and I know Ken is as well. And the more I hear about this, the more... Spe- Look, I'll tell you, there's that much spin going on at the moment. I'm dizzy. Yes. Yeah, I am yeah. dizzy. Look, I'll... I'll give you one, one other little example of where we've tried to work constructively on the vaccine rollout. We know how important the vaccine rollout is to getting out of this mess that we're in now. Yes, of course. Uh, David actually wrote to the Premier and said, hey, in, in the interest of building public confidence, I'll get the vaccine at the same time as you and we'll, we'll put politics aside in order to demonstrate it, that it's safe um, and that people should get on with the job. Still hasn't got an answer. 
Wow. Um, so, you know, it's really difficult to try to work constructively when um, that's that's the, that's the games that you've got to deal with. Yeah, it's terrible. And I, I think, honestly, the day of reckoning will come in the end. I think in the end, the next, yeah, poll, the next polls will be the... That's the it. Testimonies, yeah. how, how on earth could any rational person in politics play politics with the population in a pandemic? No, no, they're, play, they're, they're playing with our health. That's what I'm saying. Our health is, they, that's exactly yeah, what I'm it's saying. It's crazy. I it don't understand. It doesn't make sense. But I think everyone is to blame for that. Yeah. And I think every politician should be put on the spot for this. I think they all need to be held accountable. Yep. Everybody. Yep. Sorry, Brent, but I think the fact is that everyone right. has to be held accountable for it. And I think, you know, the, you guys are voted in by us. You're our representatives. I mentioned the Don, our representatives. We have trust in you. That's why you were voted in. So I think really, I mean, it's about time to stand up, I think. Well, I think it's, you know, you can do, in, in politics, you can make a whole bunch of noise and you can be in um by not doing anything, by not saying anything, by not doing anything, you're in the same boat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because there's two sides of politics, and one should be f- literally standing up for the other, for, yeah. the, for the population. If the government isn't doing the right thing, the opposition has to make noise. Otherwise, they're complicit in the same problem. Okay. So, Brett, before we cut you off. <laughs> yeah. We have run out of time. Your last words. Yeah. Last words of the night. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to, to speak about this. You are very welcome. I guess um, we'll continue to fight for small business. We, we made a conscious effort to um, not just focus in on the health in relation to COVID, but to, to bring small business in as a part of the conversation. Because to be honest, they weren't being heard. Um, through each of the last lockdowns, I've stood there with, with David Christopher and with Ros Bates uh, and done press conferences every day calling for the government to do more in the small business space. Um, and we can't afford for them to fail. So um, I guess the, the message to the government, to Don, hopefully he's listening, uh, is we need a lockdown support package for the for the next lockdown. Don said there was one. There's not. Uh, we need to see that in place so that businesses have certainty to weather the storm, at least in the near term, um, because we need those businesses there once, uh, once COVID is less of an issue than it is now. Fantastic. Fantastic. Excellent. Okay. Thank you very much, Brent. Much appreciated. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Thanks so much, Brent. Have a good evening. Thanks for joining us. Brent Mickleberg, who is the Shadow Minister for Small and Family Business in the Queensland Government. There we are. We have seriously run out of time tonight. But it's been an essential conversation, though. Well, my phone's been off the hook. I've noticed it's buzzing the desk every few seconds, yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. It's amazing. So I think there's a lot of people out there. Look, man, I would just love to see some unity. I just really would love to see people. We've been saying this for for how many months now? I would love to see the the Prime Minister and all these state premiers get together. And for once, the National Cabinet. I don't understand this National Cabinet. We should just lock them all in one room and not let them out until they agree on it. Yeah. uh, You know? It should be called the apartheid uh, cabinet or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, but what I'm saying, I mean, really, I mean, that's what it is, isn't it? I mean, yeah. they're not really working together. I they're mean, not. They're and, not. And, I, and it'd be great to see. Look, I tell you one thing: if Premier Palaszczuk was willing to get together with David Crisofilli and get together and work at a thing and make Queensland. Ultra, She'd score more ultra, brandy points on that alone. Ultra safe, yeah. not only just with the virus, but also for business as well. Yeah, I'll tell yeah. you, mate. I'll tell you. Mate, we'd all vote for her again. Absolutely. She'd certainly get more 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 out of the electorate than with what's going on at the moment. I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Unity. Yep. Certainly. Unity is what it's all about. I agree. Well, Dean, Magic. Searchlight Conversations tonight has come to another close. So, And that's the end of our COVID series for the moment. That's it. We are going to go to a completely different place next month. Yes. Uh, I think we're going to be hitting up the Afghanistan. 
situation. Yep, what's happening in Afghanistan and Australia's and ha- contribution to that. And the effects to the rest of the world. Correct. It's it's going to be something we have to? to watch. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of changes until our next program. I think so too. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dean. Until thank then, you, Ken. thank you. And thank you for joining us. And thank you to all our guests. Absolutely. Wonderful Thank guess. you to all the guests. And we'd love your feedback because this is a program we do on your behalf. That's right. And you can send the feedback in, good, bad, or otherwise. We don't mind. We just need to know what you're thinking. 0468 861 via SMS only. 0468 861 So until the 4th of October, Monday the 4th of that's October, it. that's it for us. And Thank you good for night from us. me. Good night from him. He <laughs> 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 oh, can tell we're the same age group. It's scarier. Right? <laughs> Bay FM, um, 100 points. Live and local, it's good night.